Good morning. Uh, my name is Glenn. If you're visiting here today, it's good to have you. We are in Galatians, so if you have a Bible with you, you'll want to open it to chapter 5. And you've heard the verses that are read. We'll be there in a second. And uh, before that, however, I would like to pray uh, one more time uh, as we enter into today's message. So pray with me, would you? Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this day. Um, Father, we are so uh, grateful that we get to come here. I say this and pray this to you almost every week, that we get to come here uh, and be together as a family um, and to fellowship together, to, to hear your word read, spoken, um, but Father, more importantly, to, to be here and to acknowledge you, to recognize you, to lift you up, to praise your name for everything that you have done and what you are doing and what you will accomplish on our behalf and for this world. So, Father, we pray today that you would bless us. Holy Spirit, I ask you, would you please help me? Give me the words. Uh, help us to be uh, good hearers as well, that we're hearing this from you, a, an ancient letter written to a people just like us. So, Father, I pray today that we would hear these words and that you would bless us in this time. In Jesus' worthy name, I pray. Amen. I just want to encourage you also that from that presentation that Kristen gave this morning, that picture that was up there of that school that was being built, that's the one we built last year uh, when we were there. So that uh, it was so incredible and uh, really looking forward to doing that again this year. And as Kristen said, uh, we'd like to have double the numbers from, from Squamish to go and, and uh, partner with those from Saanich Baptist in, in, on, on the island and so forth. That'd be great. So to begin with this morning, let's do a really brief recap. I know that, you know, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but really uh, the recap that I want to give to you this morning that leads into this message is really the basis of, of what this is all about. What, what, what is the main thing, if you ask yourself, as we've been going through this, that Paul is defending? What, what is the main thing that he is, he's fighting for when he's writing back to these Galatian believers, to these church plants that he planted? Well, it's, it's the gospel, at the end of it, I mean, there's lots of things going on. We know that these Judaizers, false teachers have come down, and they've basically been saying, listen, Paul's gospel, it's a bit lame. It's, it's not complete, guys. It's good. He's a good guy. Jesus, yes. But listen, you, you need to become Jewish, too. You need to uh, live out the works of the law. You need to be able to uh, earn your salvation in some way, shape, or form. And at this point in time, and I think I said it in maybe the first or second message, if, if this letter, if, if this time in history had not been dealt with, um, the gospel may not have survived uh, to this day. And so what Paul was doing, uh, the battle that he was in was, was incredibly important. So what I want to do this morning before we really dive in is give us a little bit of a, a quick layout of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And we've been trying to do this every few weeks and, and me giving you a little bit of language, speaking it so that, again, our, our purpose as a church is, is to make Jesus known, right? Is to go into this community and to be able to share the gospel with each other. And so we're trying to do that through the messages, repeating what the gospel is, trying to say it in language that we all understand as Christians, but also that we can take into the culture and take into the world. And we've been doing that also in small group, those pregnant pauses where there's questions on those post-Sunday contents that we write for you. And it's, it's like, okay, how would you say that in your own words? And I don't know about all the other small groups, but in my small group, our small group, it's kind of like, there's a pause, right? But it's been happening, it's been happening. So let me try that just a little bit for us this morning uh, in this way. And I want to be very direct about it, but again, it's just my words and thoughts on how we might share this. So number one, let me suggest this to you. You and I are sinners. We are sinners. And, and that's not people, let's be clear, that's not people who've done bad things. That's actually 
the way we were born. We were born that way. It's, it's why all of us, without any one of us needing to be taught this at any point in time, and you guys know we're, we're a church full of people who've gone forth and multiplied, lots of babies going on here, many coming over the next few months, which is awesome. But there's no point in time where any of us have had to, when, when our parents said to us, hey, hey, Glenn, hey, son, hey, hey, daughter, listen, don't touch that hot stove, or don't you dare throw that piece of food on the floor. You know, like, what, what is the one word that none of us needed to be taught at any particular time in our lives? No. Thank you. Right? It's, we're just total rebels from the day that we're born. So at the core is this. We have a sinful nature, which means that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We don't measure up to the standard of God and that one that he requires, which is holiness and perfection. And so, so just so that we understand it, let me put it this way as well. It's not when you and I are at our worst. It's not when you and I are at our worst, uh, when we commit the most egregious sins that we fall short. It's when we think, listen, it's when we think we're doing pretty good. Right. It's when we think, you know what, I, I think I hit the mark for at least 24 hours. I think, I, look, you know, hey, God, did you see those 24 hours? It, it, listen, it's actually at that point, friends, that we, that we are way, way, way far from the glory of God. We, we don't measure up, even at that point. And yet I think sometimes we think we do. So here's what God does in the gospel. God in Jesus Christ provides a way for you and I to be fully forgiven, to be made holy, to be made righteous. He imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us. Impute simply means God gives to us what Jesus has. He gives to us something that we don't deserve, which is grace. He gives to us what Jesus has, which is his perfection and his righteousness as a gift. He gives it to us freely when we believe and trust in the gospel. But there's more. There's more to that. In, in doing that, before doing that, he's already imputed to Jesus your sin, my sin. He's put it on Jesus. And Jesus has taken this wrath-absorbing punishment that we are due for our offenses against God, and he returns freely to us his perfection, his righteousness. Have I said the word freely? Freely. And so here's the most amazing part of the whole transaction. To me, and, and it's, this is the gospel, this is the point of this passage today and what Paul wants to say. You did nothing to deserve this. I did nothing to deserve this. We, we, there's nothing we could have done to receive this gift from God. God saved you. God rescued you. God did all the work. He opened up your heart. He revealed this to you. You and I played no part in our salvation except the willing, hopefully, and joyful, hopefully, submission to what he's done. So here's an important key, though, and this, again, leads into our message for today. If you were taught, I've got the T-shirt, I can remember being taught this, but if you were taught at any particular time in your life that what you needed to do was, was to come forward at a particular time and pray a prayer uh, or, or recite some specific catechism um, in order to be saved, let me put it bluntly to you. Bluntly. That's bordering on heresy, actually. It's, it's not the gospel. And here's the truth of it. The truth of it is this. If, if for example, I was to say to you, listen, if, if during this the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today or at any given time and, and, and you feel the, the, the urge and that you feel like you're trusting now, then you want to place your faith in Jesus, come forward so we can pray for you. Listen to me. Hear me. 
You got saved in your seat. You got saved when you walked out of the parking lot this morning and you were thinking, today's the day where I want to tell somebody that I believe this and that I trusted in Jesus. It, it wasn't because you came forward and prayed a prayer. It's because Jesus, God, has already saved you. Now, I know for some of us that might sound a little weird, right? It might, but I think that if we don't get this, the false teachers and what they've been teaching in Galatia might rub off on us, and it might make our sanctification, the life that we're living today, more difficult. A man by the name of Scott McKnight said this. I thought it was a great quote, so I wanted to show it to you this morning. He said this, there's something in each human being that reaches out for God. Now, I'm not sure that every human being does reach out for God, but I understand his point. This part is great. And that reaching instance itself comes from God. Not from you, not from me. And leads to God. And so really, in this whole process, it's a beautiful picture that God is doing all the work. So if you believe that there is anything that you did to earn your salvation, then here's, hear me. I, I think it's likely that this Christian life, that period between when you are justified by grace in faith alone in Jesus, saved from the penalty of your sin, which is your justification, that great theological word, and this period between now and when either Jesus comes again or you go to be with him, which is theologically your sanctification period, right? You're growing in grace and growing in Christ. That period might be more difficult for you. Because you may end up believing what they in Galatia started believing. Yeah, you know, I, I have to do something to secure my salvation. It's done. It's done. That is the message of the gospel, and that's what we need to see today. So the title um, of your message today, of our message today, is Freedom Reigns. This is, this is the penultimate passage in this letter that Paul has written. I want to show you three things today. Number one, and it's in your notes if you want to make notes today. And you will notice, for you note takers, I love you. I love you all. But the, the number one point is going to be the longest point, which is why I made more lines, okay? And so the last two will be really in conclusion to this. Number one will be the freedom of Christ. Number two, the value of Christ. And number three, the hope of Jesus Christ. So verse one again is this, and this is the freedom of Christ. For freedom, Jesus Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, some of you might remember in our very first message, we spent a lot of time talking about this subject, right? The subject of freedom, because it is the overarching theme of the whole letter. It's why we've titled uh, this series, um, Freedom, the Pursuit of Liberty, and it's, so today's verse, what we arrive at, is really Paul's main freedom, for Christ has set us free. Now, chapter 5 and 6, the last two chapters, are really going to be very practical. He's going to lean into this subject and really flesh it out for us. But also, again, how we can live in this freedom joyfully today. And that, how do we do that? In the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit in the next few weeks, which is really, really awesome. So without doubt in our culture today, I want to reprise this a little bit because I want to look at it in slightly different ways. One of the great themes, obviously, in our culture is this subject of freedom. Um, when you look through history, uh, just a couple of notes, I think, when we think about in North American history, uh, the, um, uh, the, the African-American uh, slavery and the freedom from that that we've seen. I mean, really, in our history, some of you may be very young and maybe not remember it like I do, but this was a, this was a major uh, change in our culture. Not a lot has changed since that time, but freedom came 
from slavery for our African-American brothers and sisters. Many of you will, of course, know the, the famous movie Braveheart, you know, William Wallace, where he's being tortured to death. And just before, you know, just before that moment where he does die from the torture, he screams out that word, freedom. And everybody who goes, I mean, especially us, well, apparently dudes, we go to this and we're like, yeah, I don't want to go through that, but yeah, freedom. And what's it from? Well, it's, a, it's from oppression. It's from bondage. And it's from slavery. And so freedom, I mean, in that movie, cements the idea that in our minds, freedom is at least in part a freedom from bondage or oppression. And so we will see how this definition parallels the biblical idea today. However, there's another popular idea about freedom out there. Actually, a few, and I want to look at a couple for you today. There's the popular idea today that freedom is found in, hear this, doing whatever feels good to me. Whatever I think is good, as long as there is no harm to any other person. And this, of course, is one of the poles of liberty. Remember I said this early on? There's two poles. There's license over here, and then there's legalism over here. Neither are the true gospel. And and so this one is really that pole of license, the freedom to do anything that you want. And this was actually the charge that in that day, the false teachers, the Judaizers, as they were called, are making against Paul's gospel. I mean, they basically said this, well, if Jesus' sacrifice means that all my sins were forgiven, past, present, and future, then that must mean I'm free to do whatever I want. Because based on that gospel, God is obligated to forgive and forget all the time, right? Because I've believed in Jesus. I've trusted Jesus. Well, the truth is that most people who only have a superficial knowledge of the Bible and Christianity actually believe that the greatest enemy of freedom in our world today is the Bible, is Christianity. Their belief is that Christianity is just some authoritarian system of do's and don'ts, you know, rules and regs. And and if you get out of line, God will, will punish you and possibly forever in a fiery furnace, right? That doesn't sound like freedom, does it? That message doesn't sound like freedom. But there's even another view. What do you think would be a good definition of freedom today, let's flesh it out a little bit, from our culture's perspective, and and maybe even in the church to a certain extent. And secondly, we need to look at that definition, but secondly, how do we arrive at this definition? Well, to put it in words that I think we would all agree with, let me suggest this definition. Freedom is the place where I feel free from all the things that are holding me down, holding me back from what I really want to do with my life. In other words, I'm only going to be truly free in this life when I'm able to do whatever I want as long as no harm comes to anyone else. Sound familiar? <laughs> is it a thought that, that you've had that I, I, I certainly have? Is, it a, is that the thought of our world and culture around us today? I think it is. I think it is. So now notice that this modern definition of freedom is in the negative in both directions. You notice that? It's from and from, right? It's negative really in both directions. From all the things holding you back and from the things that you really want to do. So what's holding you back is keeping you from, and so there's a double negative really to be seen in this. But some people would say, whoa, 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 wait a second. No, that's not true. No, no, that's not true. It's from and for because, you know, I'm being held back, but I want to be free for the things I want to do. Okay, so that's possible. 
Well, that then becomes the rub, I think, in our modern society, doesn't it? Because we can look around and look at all the things that people say that they want to do with their lives and at the same time say, yeah, but your four is not my four. Actually, your four is harmful to me. <laughs> and so we end up at this, this place where, really, there's, there's no freedom, really, in, on that sense anyway. And so this leads to the second, second question. How did we arrive at this idea and definition of freedom? Now, some of you are probably going to get tired of me saying this and blaming the same thing, but it's the Enlightenment, Again, it was the Enlightenment period, the, the period of the beginning of modernity that basically said, yeah, the problem with human flourishing is the Bible. Th this idea that there is some ultimate authority, some ultimate God, and some ultimate law over all of us, which says that we cannot do exactly what we want to do. And that's, that's harmful to us. So today we've arrived at this place where truth is not only relative. As Time Magazine asked a few weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago, is truth dead? Answer today, thank you Twitterverse, pretty much, right? Truth is, is dead in our culture today. And that's what our second question answers. So clearly at the end of the day, I think even, and I've spoken to many, especially at the cafe downtown on different occasions, a few atheists, a few you know, uh, good friends who, who don't trust and believe in God and the Bible. But I think even most of them, most ardent millennials, uh, would have to admit it's looking like this enlightenment idea of freedom is just actually not working for any of us. Despite how hard we demand the freedom to do whatever we want, we find that the truth is we're just not free. And so to this, Paul writes in the literal Greek, Literally, the words that you see in the beginning of this verse are, for freedom Christ freed you. That would be the literal Greek. He wants you and I to know that it's not a freedom from, from kind of freedom, but a from, for that Jesus Christ has freed us. That word freed in the Greek here is past, present, perfect, meaning done. Only hap had to happen one time. At the cross, and the moment you come to the cross and faith in Jesus Christ, you're free. Free, completely, and forever. The from is what Paul has been arguing all along in his letter. From bondage and slavery to the works of the law for your salvation. That's really what the freedom is. So if you're a modern thinker here today, this is the difference from your from. <laughs> right? You think that you needed freedom from the things that were holding you down, holding you back. Well, think about it. Do you know what those things usually are? Have you ever thought of that? And I'm not putting that on all of us here today. But from, some, from time to time, we begin to think like our culture, I think. What, what are those things from time to time? Actually, they're, they're not from what's. They're from who. It's, it's like freedom from who. I don't know about you guys, but like when I was growing up and the hair was getting very, very long and I was wearing bell-bottoms and tie-dyed t-shirts and doing things I shouldn't be doing, I wanted freedom from a lot of things, right? I wanted freedom from my parents, right? I wanted freedom from my teachers. I wanted freedom from the man, you know, because, well, anyway, we won't get into all those things. But it's usually from a whom? It's usually from other people. People, you know, marriage is just not working out. You know, like, I thought it was going to be this, and I thought he was going to be this, and she was going to be this, and well, now in order to do what I really want to do with my life, I need what? 
freedom from him or her. That tends to be where it goes. The gospel tells you this. Listen to me. Hear me, please, today. One thing. It tells you this. The who that you need freedom from is you. It's you. It's me. Right? I'm just pointing fingers here, right? You need freedom from you. Christ has set you free from you, from your sin and from your wages of the sin that you've committed. So that's really good news, right? I mean, good news, the gospel. That's what it is. That's really good news, I hope. It's freedom from the one thing that every one of us, every human being on this planet needs more than anything else. But for the most part, we don't get it. So let me go a little deeper here. Go a little deeper with me if you can, because if we don't, again, I think we might miss the key that Paul is getting at, and maybe part of the key to the gospel. If we just say, okay, I get it. Jesus saved me from my sin, from hell, from condemnation, from all those things. But then we make this mistake. We might miss that what he has saved us from most is not our actions per se, but from guilt and shame. That, that's really what this is getting at. It's, it's beautifully said. John Stott, in his commentary, he said this, and I'll show it to you again as a, uh, as a really good word on this. He said, what Christ has done in liberating, f- excuse me, freeing us, according to Paul's emphasis here, is not so much to set our will free so that we're free to do whatever we want from the bondage of sin as to set our conscience, a thing that nags us. Right? To set that free from the guilt of sin. That's crucial, isn't it? Especially, listen, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ here today, that's what you and I need. That's where I fall back. I don't know about you, but that's where I fall back and thinking, I failed. I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be standing up here on Sunday morning, you know, from the way I spoke to my wife or what I may have done. That's the enemy convicting us or lying to us, actually. So Jesus did what he did for you so that you could be free from something of much greater value than anything that you could ever, free for, pardon me, something of much greater value than anything you could have ever dreamed of doing with your life. And so what could that be? What could that be? Well, well, counter to the enlightened modern uh, mind or way we might think that way, if there is a God then listen, obviously, if there is a God who is ultimate, who's created all of us, who holds the power to hold this universe together, you and I are not free. Let's just be honest here, right? It's so much easier just to be honest with ourselves and go, okay, I'm actually not free. Well, what does that mean then? What's the good news about that if that's true? And it is true. But on the other hand, it must mean that our lives, I think, have real purpose, If there's an intentional good God who's created all this beauty, everything that's around us has given you and I breath, the desire to love and be in relationship and community and and everything that's good in life, then there's got to be a purpose for your life and my life. A meaning that, again, is not defined by ourselves, but by the one who created us. And if he is a good, good God, then listen, what he originally designed for you and I in Christ and what Christ has saved us for has got to be very, very, very good. So I want you to remember one of the things that Jesus did when he first began his ministry. We'll take a look at a few more things before we move on. 
He went to the synagogue. Remember this? He went to his hometown, right? He thought, well, maybe he didn't think this, but it was like, I'm going to go to my hometown, and, and, and people there are going to be so happy to find out that, that one of their own is the Messiah. It was an interesting morning when he got there. When he got there, because they'd heard he was a prophet, they asked, actually ad, asked him to do the daily reading for that day, and so Jesus did. He got up, and they gave him the scrolls, and the scrolls for that day were these verses uh, from both uh, um, uh, Isaiah and also from the Psalm, Isaiah 61, 1 to 2, and Psalm 146, 7 and 8. But they, they were these words. Imagine Jesus standing up in front of his family and friends, small town, but here he is, hometown boy, and he's reading these words, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. These are Elijah's words from hundreds of years ago. He has sent me to pro- proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when he had finished reading, he rolled up the scrolls, gave them back to the spiritual leader of the synagogue, and uh, before he sat down, he said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, hometown boy was no longer hometown boy as soon as he said that, right? I don't know if you remember the whole story. At that point, they wanted to kill him. And he basically had to leave town because that's what they wanted to do. But the amazing thing that we need to see from this is that Jesus, Jesus has arrived. He said, this is why I'm here. I have come to do this. And so this is his purpose is to set the captives free, right? That's his purpose, is liberty and freedom. And I hope you believe and you know today that that's not just for you and me, and we go, thank you, Lord, can't wait to see you in a few years, right? No, if, if that's what he has done, and then he tells us to go, therefore, then that must have also something to do with our purpose in life. So what is it that you and I have been set free for then? Let's define that. Let's maybe look at that. Uh, let me give you a couple more illustrations first. Uh, I think these might be things just to help us understand the place of where we're at today and Paul's words in this passage. Um, this is interesting. Imagine, for you, for if you can with me a little bit, this is going to be really wild for some of you, I know. But imagine for a moment that you're a fish, right? You're swimming around, you know, you're underwater, you know, you're a salmon, right? Because they're awesome in this area. But, but at some point as a salmon, you're thinking, you know, honestly, in order for me to be totally free... Of, of hooks and barbs and all these people trying to catch me and all the rest of it. The number one, like, I, if I could just get out of this water, right? And so you, you summon up, I mean, you swim like as hard as you can and you, you flutter around and you, you can see the shore coming up because, you know, it's getting shallower. And then you just fling yourself out of the water and you're like six feet up on the beach, on the rocks or whatever, and you're, I'm free! How long does that last? Right? At some point you're going, it's a little hard to breathe. <laughs> This is not working out too good. Imagine you're a kite. Imagine you're a kite. Seriously, you're way up there in the sky. The wind is blowing. It's awesome. And, and you're tethered, though, right? You got this, this thing, and there's some person down there pulling on this thing, this rope thing. You're like, listen, the ultimate for me personally to be free would be if, if I could just somebody cut this rope, I'd pull it, break this string, and I can be free, right? It would be awesome. And then all of a sudden, the rope breaks, and you're free, and Tom Petty starts singing, free falling, right? It's, I can't sing. It's crash and burn at that point, is it not? I mean, but that, I, mean I know it's a bit silly when you think about these, these analogies, but let's look at it this way. I think this is the result of all the merely human ideas 
and concepts of what we really want to do with our lives. Again, I, I'll just speak personally. I don't know about the rest of you, but when I was younger, like in my 20s, I would think, of, you know, if I could just be here or with that person or doing that or whatever it might be, oh, my life would be grand. I, I would be, to a certain extent, free, right? Because I'd be doing what I want to do, where I want to do it, with whom I want to do it with. Life would be just, it'd be awesome. We think, just like the culture, if we could just be free to do whatever we want, as long as it harms no one else, then we'd have a chance to, you know, but we get to the point then, as soon as you are free, as soon as I left mom and dad, left home, and I was on my own, I was like, oh, okay, wait a second, I got I to afford rent. <laughs> Look, I'm free. Not really, right? It, it, it just kept going on, but you, you then decide, this is what I'm going to do, and then we go and do it. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm a little bit older. I know it's hard to believe, but I am a little bit older than some of you young couples with kids here. And, you know, I've been through, Janice and I have been through these times where we're like, yeah, this is what we want to do. It's, it's weird how you think that's what you want to do, and then you go start doing it, and then it just doesn't seem to be exactly what you thought it would be, and you're not as free. You've got all these other burdens and things on your head, and, and, and so now what next? And so we keep moving along. This seems to be where we're going. We're, so like the fish, let me say it this way. We need to be in the environment we were created for. Yes? Like, like a fish... It, who has a purpose, we need to be in the environment that we were created for. And like the kite, we probably needed, we need to be tethered to something, or better, someone. Can't be tethered to ourselves. We need to be tethered. And, of course, for the Christian, the gospel is saying, you can have someone who's perfect. And he can place you in the perfect environment for you. The environment that you were created to exist in. And he can tether you. He can can pull on you so that you can soar. That's what a kite does when the the string is actually pulled. It soars higher. But you need to be tethered. And so we do that. That environment for you and I is in him. In his body. And with him for eternity. Our freedom for then is this. It is for him. It's for Jesus Christ. It's for his purpose. And it's for his purpose, which is for the sake of others. It's not about what I want to do with my life. It's not about what, what's going to make me happy. It's about serving others. Love God and what? Love your neighbor. It's about loving God, serving God, and serving others. That's it. Your freedom, my freedom, you know this, came at an incredibly high price. A very high price. And the true value of it is priceless. It's completely free and to be shared. So Paul then says this. Look at what he says in this verse. Knowing that this freedom is what it is, stand firm. I love those words because the Greek literally implies kind of like leaning forward into the wind. It doesn't mean holding on for dear life kind of standing firm. It means leaning in. It, 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 the, the implication there is, I know there's going to be a storm. I know there are going to be troubles. I know there are going to be difficulties. Jesus promised this to us. But he also said, listen, I've overcome the world. I've overcome these things. Lean in, guys. Stand firm. Reject these false teachers. Reject these ideas of a false gospel. Lean in. Lean in. And embrace this freedom, never again going back into slavery and bondage, which is really the broken view of our world. 
So freedom then for the Christian is to want with all your heart, is to want with all your heart to be in the environment that you were made for. Who knows what that environment is? The Holy Spirit knows what that environment is. God knows what that environment is. We can know what that environment is through his word and listening to him and going to him all the time. It also means, please hear this, never again thinking that we have to win our acceptance with God for our own obedience, through our own obedience. We've been saved to the freedom of knowing God's affection for us does not waver despite our persistent failures. We are more, actually, than good enough. We are perfectly loved by our God. So that's number one, the freedom of Christ. Let's look at number two, the value of Christ. Paul says, look, I love the way Paul writes sometimes, and then there's a colon there, right? He's going, look, <laughs> would you guys please see this? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm implying this, but I, I think of it sometimes as the Lord must be saying, Glenn, look, <laughs> would you just listen? Read my word. You've been preaching it. Would you now listen? Live it? Would you please? Paul says this. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law now. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So look, as Paul begins here, in a nutshell, he's, he's asking, think about it, when you read that whole passage, he's basically saying, did you not understand the value of Jesus? Do you understand the full-orbed value of Jesus Christ? He's saying, listen, if you're foolish enough, my dear Galatians, my dear Christians, to accept works of the law, in this case circumcision, then you obviously don't understand the true value of what you have in Christ Jesus. The truth is, you're not believing that Jesus is enough. Let me expand that. More than enough than every want, need, and desire that we have in this life. And he uses very graphic language here in the Greek that, that the English doesn't, right? It really doesn't convey it very well. You all understand how we have PG-13 or 14 or 15 audience here, I hope. I know we have little ones, but they don't understand me, right? You know what circumcision means, right? Something is what? Cut off. Every male in the room just crossed his legs, right? Every, right? That's what it means, literally, Paul then says there are three results if you trust in the gospel of Jesus plus works, which is not a gospel at all. He's been saying that throughout the whole letter. The first is this. Jesus won't have any value anymore. His value is so ultimate. His value is so all-encompassing. There is nothing, and I know intellectually, Christians, we know this, but do we? <laughs> Are we thinking it through? Because we, we seem to, every one of us, leave this place and then dream of every other thing that we want, need, and desire so that our lives will be comfortable, secure, and happy. And he, he gets Sunday. He gets when something difficult comes our way. He gets our attention. So the first thing is, is that he loses our value, his value. Second, we will be cut off from him. We will be actually cut off from him. And thirdly, you, you could lose your freedom. Literally, literally in some cases, but even figuratively, metaphorically, but again, literally within our own lives. We can lose the sense of freedom and security that we have in Christ. 
Again, I have to quote, I want to quote John Stott for you because he, he's, he wrote some great stuff on this passage that I loved. He said this, more simply, to add circumcision, which is works of the law, is to lose Christ. To seek to be justified by the law is to fall from grace. You can't have it both ways. It is impossible to receive Christ, thereby acknowledging that you cannot save yourself, and then receive circumcision works, thereby claiming you can. You have got to choose between a religion of law and a religion of grace, between Jesus Christ and circumcision. Those are great words. It's true. So now, what, what do we have? Well, first, we have the value of Christ. One of the things I think about the gospel that we should have firmly grasped at this point is that it's not merely faith alone in Christ alone for my or for our salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for fire insurance. See you on that day. (laughs) It's him. We get him. Do you realize when we go to heaven, it's not the mansions? It's not the lack of pain? If you're looking forward to, to a bunch of things that are for you, I think you're going to be disappointed. I'm going to be disappointed if that's what I think because when we get there, it's going to be him. He's the prize. He's what we get when we go there. So he's our salvation. He's our life. He's our breath. He's our existence, both the Christian and the non who exist. Whether you know it or believe it, by and through the power of his word, you get to breathe. Your heart gets to beat. This earth keeps turning. The sun keeps coming up. It's his power. It's his word that causes this to happen. So he's everything. Nothing else actually, if you think about it, if I think about it, can really have any value to me. And again, I have to confess to you, there are many things that have a lot of value to me. My wife being ill last week, you guys all know this, I shared this with you last Sunday, you know, I had to hold on for a minute there because of how highly I value her and need her and want her to be here with me and with you. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Well, the answer is yes, of course. So one final question must be answered from these verses, though, and that is this. It comes up all the time, and it's a good question. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Is in this passage that we've been looking at here uh, at the end here in verses um, that we've just read. Well, verses 5 and 6 will show us that a true Christian is completely secure in the knowledge of their salvation. So then what is Paul saying here? What is he implying here? Well, first, two things. Uh, first, one thing, I should say. First John tells us this in 2.19. It says, John writing about people who have left the church. People are discouraged by that, but he's writing. He says, they went out from us. But listen, they were actually not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So the truth is, there are those who profess to be Christian. There are those who try to be Christian, try to do it, try to do it on their own, misunderstand the gospel, but try. They show up. They try to do good, try to be good moral people. At the end of the day, it's too hard. And something else comes along that is way more like them, way more, way easier, and we no longer see them. They never were a Christian. That's hard for some of us. Some of us have walked with people and, and love people, and, and then to have the question, because there's so much at stake, what are you saying? They never were a Christian. Pastor? 
or friend. That's a tough thing to say or think, but actually it's helpful if you still want to witness to them because the way that you witness to a person who doesn't really know Jesus and has never really trusted Jesus is very different from a person who's just struggling. But that's the second person who's in view here. There is in view here the Christian who struggles with their sanctification, that period we're living in now. Those who, are, who falsely understood that they came to faith by believing that they did something. They participated. Listen, that thinking can linger. I've seen it in people who I've counseled. It lingers that, well, wait a second. When I got saved, I responded. I did this. I did that. And I'm like, no, <laughs> actually you didn't. That's why you're having trouble today thinking that there's something you have to do to be accepted, loved by God, to feel like you are good enough. We're free, guys. <laughs> totally free in Christ. And that is our second point. Number three, the last point is this, the hope of Christ. So beautiful. Verses five and six say this, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So you might notice that in these two verses, the pronouns have changed. Rather than Paul talking to you, you Galatians, me talking, sounding like I'm talking to you, it's now we. It's very collective. Paul's including himself in this. He's speaking also directly to true Christians, those who are standing firm in the gospel, who need a little encouragement right now to stand firm. He's speaking to them. He's speaking to you, and he's speaking to me. The, the emphasis is clearly on faith, too, right? You see it a couple times here. I've highlighted it in the text. So first we see this, that it's through the Spirit. And that obviously is the first clue that he's talking to true Christians. Only a person who has placed their faith and trust in Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them. Only the true Christian can experience this kind of joy and this kind of freedom. So that's who he's speaking to first. And then he says, we ourselves which I think is a beautiful way of saying that, listen, we, we collectively are in this together. And, and, and what are we doing together in this life, in the everyday rhythms of our daily struggles? I love this. I wish we, we, we need to, in small group this week, there will be some uh, opportunity for you to go deeper into this. What are we doing? We are being eager people. <laughs> eager people. In fact, I would suggest to you that we are the only people in this world who can be this kind of eager, or at least we should be. Why? Well, we just need to read our Bibles. Right? Why? Because we are the only people who have the kind of freedom that, that really leads to a real deep and meaningful hope. We have a hope, right? This is not it. We have this hope of perfected righteousness from justification through sanctification to, all you theologians, what? Glorification. One day being completely free from the very presence of sin and brokenness in this world, including our own. Amen? I always ask this. Can you imagine what that day might be like? <laughs> I can only dream of it, but honestly, to imagine what it would be like to never, never know brokenness, our own Sin, it's an amazing hope. So look at this. We are eager people who have this great hope 
And, and what do we do? Again, in the words, right here in Paul's words, we don't work till that glorification. We what? Wait. Do you see it there? We wait patiently, believing and trusting in the gospel every day, in every word that Jesus ever said, that Paul is highlighting for us, that if he's able to save us from the penalty of sin, he's also able in this life to save us from the very, you know, the very power of sin through the Holy Spirit in our lives today, and eventually from the very presence of sin. This, my friends, is the gospel. We should be eager people. We should be the people who are able to model this kind of eagerness. Not the kind of people who say, oh, this world's going to H-E double hockey sticks in the handbasket. Come, Jesus. You know, like wipe it all out. Well, some of us might want to think that way some days, and maybe it's not. But no, it's more like, I'm very eager, and it comes to the last point in this, and I'll leave you with this. It comes to, wait a second. What does it say? Faith, what? Working through love. The gospel is true for us in this way, and Paul's point is this in closing. If you get this, if, if we truly get the principle that there was nothing we did, we totally didn't deserve this grace and this love from God, for he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we so didn't deserve this, and, and then we've, we've received the Holy Spirit and we, we, we own and know our freedom that we have in Christ, and we don't just use it as license, but we, we desire eagerly to be holy and righteous today. And at the same time, we desire to keep the commands of Christ, which are to love God with all of our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Friends, share this eagerness. Share this gospel with your friends this week. Share it. Share it. Express your freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen? Pray with me, would you?